So, are we good? Genesis chapter 39. Again, continuing on with our series of Joseph Makes Me Think of Jesus. Today, like a lot of times, we've done a lot of applicational stuff. You know, what do we see in Jesus? How does that apply to us? How can we take that uh, home? I really want us today to just admire who Jesus is and what he did for us more. Because uh, the, the four things we're going to look at, the four points we're going to look at today, really focus on the suffering of Jesus and what he allowed himself to go through willingly on our behalf. And it's really just caused me to go, wow, Lord, wow, you did an amazing thing and you went through a lot and you didn't have to. So I just want our hearts to just be grateful today, thankful, and let's worship him for how great a God he truly is. So let's pick up Genesis 39. We're going to read through the chapter. Again, I know you guys know this story super well. And we're not going to study everything in the chapter because we're not necessarily studying Joseph. We're studying how Joseph makes me think of Jesus. So we want to look at Joseph, but we want to look mostly at Jesus. So, Genesis 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Potiphar's pharaohs, the captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered and lived in the house of the Egyptian, his master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called for her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. 
he came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When, I, when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Then his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But Joseph was there. In, sorry, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed kindness and granted favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing story that you did in this young man's life. A story that was well thought out in advance, but from Joseph's perspective, man, it was rough. Uh, but Lord, we know that you had a purpose for it, and even though we're not there yet studying it, we see that a great thing will be done through Joseph and his life. But Lord, as we look today into this account, we pray that we would see your son. We would appreciate all that he has done on our behalf. For you alone are worthy to be praised. You alone are worthy of all our honor and all the glory that we can give. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work this morning, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that you would speak through me, and that you would humble me this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Man, so Joseph. What a story. Being dragged from home, carried across a long land, thrown into slavery, and seems to prosper there. Amazing, the Lord is with him even there. And we come to the account where he is now under some severe temptation. So the first point I want to look at is how Joseph and Jesus both went through strong temptation. Now, I cannot think, I'm not young anymore, but you know, for a young man, any greater temptation than a woman offering herself to you. Now remember, Joseph's handsome. He looks good. And he's young. And... Man, I'm sure that was not an easy day for him. I mean, think, he's in charge of everything. I mean, he could get away with it if he wanted to, probably. But he chose to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Man, I put myself in Joseph's shoes. That would be a struggle. Really, really, thank you, Greg, appreciate it. A struggle. And again, this is not a lesson on sin. And how to deal with sin. But what was Joseph's reaction? One, I'm not going to sin against my God. Two, did he stick around? Now he ran for his life. He got out of there. All right. We read in scripture that you should flee you fool us, right? We gotta flee. Run away from that. You cannot stand up against it. All right. We are too weak, especially as men. We are too weak to deal with that stuff. We gotta get out of there. You know, Scripture says, you know, that if your foot causes you to sin, what should you do with it? 
cut it off. Your eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. Whoa, seriously? Like that's that's kind of intense right there. You I, my foot caused me to stumble. I should really like just get a hacksaw and just hack it off. In my eyes, I start looking at things that are wrong. I should go gouge them out. No, that's not what it's saying. But it's saying you need to take some serious steps. You need to get like take some drastic measures about sin. Sin is not something you want to dabble with, you want to play with. You got to get rid of it and its source in your life. How drastic are we in taking measures against sin? How drastic are we in that? Do we put forth a plan and a mission and a purpose that this is the problem in my life and here's how I'm going to conquer it through the Lord's help. I'm going to plan for it. Now, obviously, you can't plan for everything. But there are certain things you can do. You watched the movie Fireproof, I believe it is, right? Uh, There's a man who struggles with looking at things on a computer. And after he comes to the realization that this is a problem for me, what does he do with the computer? He chucks it through a window into a garbage can. He removes it from his life. So it's not a struggle anymore. I know someone in real life, not just a movie, who struggles with stuff like that. And he will not own a cell phone that has a data plan. He will not own a cell phone that can connect to the internet. Because he does not want to be a temptation for him because he struggled with it in the past. And he's like, I don't ever want it to be a problem for me again. So I am going to make sure that it's not even an option. It's not available for me in that scenario. I have a friend who also, I know, has a struggle, has a trouble, has a struggle. Man, I have a lot of struggles. (laughs) Who struggles with buying things compulsively. His credit card got them and their family in trouble. So what did he do with all his credit cards? He cut them up. And it's now cash only. If you don't have the cash in his pocket, he cannot buy it. He took drastic measures. Because in today's society, if you can only live with cash, no Amazon. Take Amazon out of your life. I don't know if I can live without Amazon. I mean, dang. Like, I'm on there all the time because they got good deals and good delivery and it's super simple and easy for me to do, right? Took some drastic measures. It makes life maybe not as convenient, not as easy, but it keeps them out of sin. What do you do in your life that is drastic to keep sin out of your life? And are you doing enough? We know that Jesus, at the very beginning of his public ministry, right? He went out to the desert for 40 days. And he fasted. And he got hungry. I, I, I can't imagine not eating for 40 days. Um lived in the desert for 40 days and fasted. And while he was there, he was tempted by Satan himself. The great deceiver, the great liar. And he was tempted with, you know, the lust of the flesh. Get some personal satisfaction. Get some personal pleasure. And the Lord withstood that. He was tempted by the lust of the eyes materialism, getting stuff. 
to make you happy. And that too he withstood. And another one, the pride of life, my ego, looking good, puffing myself up and making others go, wow, he's good. All of them, he was said, how did the Lord withstand those temptations? Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The three things, if one of them doesn't get you, the other ones will. How did he thwart, not thwart, how did he, you know, withstand those temptations? Did he physically get up and run away? No, he stood his ground. But what did he do? He used scripture. He quoted the word of God. And this is the only time in in, in scripture that I can find that someone stands up to sin and temptation and doesn't flee. I know for us men, we need to run away when stuff comes up. And, and, And when issues in our lives, whether it just be our eyes or our thoughts, we need to get out of certain scenarios so that we're not tempted. If you have a problem with alcohol and it comes in your face and someone offers it to you, don't stand around and look at it. Because the more you stand around and look at it, the more it's going to become a problem. The harder it is going to be to fight that. Drugs, gambling, any of those scenarios. You struggle with those things. You can't go near them. Get away from that, right? And it's, it's also true with gossiping, right? I mean, oh man, I don't struggle with gambling, I don't struggle with drugs. I mean, I got, I got this covered, right? There's a lot of things that we struggle Man, if there's a ladies group, I hope it's not downstairs, but in the, in, in the workroom at, at work, we'll go there, the workroom at work, and they're talking, or co-workers are talking, and you know what? They're talking about other people behind their backs. Don't go over there. You already know, because you've probably been there every single day, you know what they're doing. Don't go eat with them. I know people who will not eat with their co-workers because the conversations they are having are not wholesome. There's nothing beneficial Nothing good going on in conversations, especially in the education world. I will not tell you what teachers talk about in the lunchroom. But it's not good happy thoughts about the children most times. <laughs> Ooh, man. Um, yeah. I don't eat in the lunchroom with my coworkers. I, I do have lunch sometimes with some people, but sometimes it's been very hard for me knowing the conversation is headed in this direction. I have struggled in the past to just get up and walk out. Because then everybody's like, "Why are you leaving?" And I, and it was it's it's fine since I've come to, but at the beginning I, I never did. I just wouldn't do it. Now people I don't understand why I do it, but it just it's hard. You got to get out of there. But the Lord stands His ground, and He uses Scripture. He uses the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right? It is possible to sometimes. Stand your ground against temptation if you are using the sword of the Spirit. No temptation has seized you, right? Except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So there's only one solution if it's not fleeing. It's using your sword. The question is, how skilled at you, how skilled are you at using your sword? If your sword is dusty and dull, and you haven't used it in a few years, you're probably not very proficient with it. Preach, 
preach. <laughs> You're probably not very proficient at it. Think of any skill. One was, I, 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 for myself, I can't think it's a bicycle, but maybe, maybe some of you haven't been on a bicycle in a very long time. Maybe it's been years. Can you imagine just hopping on one now and riding off a curb and over some bumps? All right, maybe oh, 20 years ago I could have done that, but now I can't no more. That would be a, whoo, I'm probably going to end up falling off, right? There's a lot of things we could apply that to. I, man, I haven't done that in a long time. Like spell words. I, I, I can't. My daughter comes to me, Daddy, can you help me with my language work? Where do the commas go? Shoot. I used to be able to do that. And I, Mommy, come help, please. All right, when it comes to the math, I got that. But when it comes to just fixing the grammatical wrong sentences for fourth grade, I'm struggling. You know, I'm struggling. I used to be able to do that, but now I can't because I let my sword, my sword of grammatical language get soft and weak. Not proficient anymore. You need to be in your word, using your word, proficient with your word, with your sword, so that when it comes time to need it, it's ready to go. You don't have to think about, oh man, we're, um, I think there's a scripture somewhere out there for this one. Man, did the Lord have to think long and hard about what scripture to pull out to, to defend Satan with? No, it was there. On a, he was ready to go. How well are you versed in your scriptures? And when a time arises, you know what to say to the power of God. See, God cannot recall scripture in your mind. See, if you know scripture, if you've been in it, it's amazing what God will recall on a spot. Man, I, I forgot that was even there, right? And God does an amazing job pulling it out. But if it's not in there to begin with, how is he going to pull it out? You got to be in there. You got to be in your word. You got to know how to use your word. If not, you better be running real fast. See, Jesus is, 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 is beautiful. Turn to me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. But Jesus was perfect. He could do no sin. He could do no wrong. So it must have been easy for him. I think sometimes we forget that he was fully man. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Let's see. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for his people, for the sins of his people, because he himself was suffered when he tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, when you are struggling, and when you are being tempted, God gives you some tools. He gives you His sword of the Spirit. 
He gives you legs to physically get out of the situation. He also gives you His Holy Spirit to help convict you of, okay, this is a problem, we should deal with this right now. All right. He also is able to sympathize with us. He gets it. He knows what it's like to be in those scenarios. And He went through it properly, without sinning. When we are in He's there, ready to help us. Look to Him right away. Don't think the, the day after, oh man, Lord, I should, I should have come to you first. I didn't, I wish I had. Instantly, you got something in front of you, take that thought captive, bring it to the Lord, and act upon it in a righteous manner. Now Joseph was tempted. He dealt with it in a very proper manner and yet was punished for it, wasn't he? He was thrown into prison for doing the right thing. Brian, that's not fair. Yep, that's not fair. And you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. Life's not fair sometimes. It's not. Does the Lord know? Yes. How do we know that? The Lord is with him. The Lord is with Joseph, right? Joseph suffered for doing what was right. You know, we can go to the next chapter, verse 40, in Genesis 40, 15. Joseph basically shares his story with some people in prison. He says, listen, I was hated by my family. I was thrown in, sorry, I was sold as a slave. I was thrown into prison and I had done nothing wrong. Nothing that I did wrong. And here I am. I am being tortured for doing nothing wrong. It's not justice. He was hated by his brothers, thrown into slavery, thrown into prison for doing nothing wrong. What about Jesus? Man, his whole life was that struggle, wasn't it? Turn to me one story. I, I don't know why, but this, just this past year, I really came across a story, and I just it's like the eighth time I've come back to using the story now. It just keeps getting me. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. In verse 20. Again, this is very early on in Jesus' public ministry. So Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went and took charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind all right, so we're going, what's going on here? I don't understand. Well, if you read the other Gospels, or if you read Matthew and Luke, you get a, a more holistic picture of what's going on here. See, Jesus had just healed a demon-possessed man. And now all of a sudden, whoa, Jesus, again, Jesus is still new on the scene in his public ministry, right? This gets some serious attention. And the people are now gathering around 
and going, what is this? What is going on? And Jesus' personal family, his brothers, his real immediate, his blood family, shows up on a scene and try to take charge of the scenario. And what do they say about Jesus? He is out of his mind. He is lunatic. He is crazy. He is mentally ill. There's something mentally wrong with him. Can you imagine your family saying that about you? Here he is doing a good thing. And he is being ridiculed and mocked and made fun of by his physical family. And now, if you, obviously, if you read down the rest of the story, the you know, religious leaders come by and say, oh, man, he's using the power of Satan to remove these things. So he's also being ridiculed by the, the leaders of the time and that he's using evil power to do these things, that he must be an evil person using satanic powers to do it. He did something good and was ridiculed by his family. I, I don't know about you, but it hurts. Words hurt, right? It hurts when people of the world, you know, criticize and mock you for doing something good. But I like to think that I'm pretty thick-skinned and, you know, what? Yeah, I, 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 whatever, you know? I, I let those things bounce off. But when your own family insults you, the people who are supposed to care the most about you insult you and criticize you, and you're trying to do what's right, that, that cuts deep. That cuts really deep. See, Jesus was not only criticized by the world, but by his own family. I mean, you think about it, the, the very people that he healed and cared about were the people who nailed him to the cross. First Peter chapter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he himself entrusted to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body at the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus Christ went through a lot of humiliation. A lot of insults. And it wasn't just at the cross. It wasn't just this two-day window period of time in his life. It was years that he went through this stuff. Doing the right thing before God. And he was made fun of it for it. I mean, we see this in Paul's life, right? Very clearly, too. I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purposeful faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who des sorry, yes, and to all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer too. It is a part of our lives, guys. Suffering come. You proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. You will 
suffer. Let's keep moving. Point number three. So we've looked at so far that he, Joseph, went, underwent strong temptations, and so did Jesus. That Joseph also suffered for the sake of doing what was right. Thirdly, he suffered at the hands of Gentiles. Where was Joseph at this time? He's in Egypt. None of them there are Jewish. Probably say he's probably the first Jewish person down there. I don't know, probably. Uh, He's the first Jewish person down there, the rest are Gentiles, and he is now being suffering by these unbelieving Gentiles. Jesus, too, actually underwent persecution and suffering at the hands of Gentiles, too, right? Acts chapter 4, verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. See, even not just the Jewish people of the time where Jesus lived, right? Not even his own people. Yes, they conspired against him. But also the rulers and the kings of the time got together to figure out how they could remove Jesus too. Jesus suffered at the hands of worldly men. The one I really want to look at is the last one, number four. He was numbered with the transgressors. Genesis chapter 40. Flip back. All right, so Genesis 39, verse 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, how this is how you treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And sometimes later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with these two officials, the the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. See, Joseph was being kept in prison where people who did things that were wrong were kept. When you do something against a king that is wrong, that's where he puts you. Joseph was counted, considered, looked at as a great offender. He had done nothing wrong, but he was being treated as if he had done something wrong. When you went through the jail roster and looked at all the offenses that were ever recorded, the people's names and what they did, Joseph's name is in the list amongst all the people that were put in jail. He is counted with the sinners, made one of them. 
Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus Christ was numbered with the transgressors. And I really want to just look at this last point. This is, to me, this is just such, I don't know, a, a deep thing. Like, man, Lord, you allowed this to happen to yourself and you willingly did. It just blows my mind. Isaiah 53, usually we read the very beginning of the chapter, right? I want to read the last verse. Isaiah 53, because of all these things that Jesus will do on our behalf, right? Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When Joseph was sold into Egypt and he was in the house of Potiphar, what do we read about him? The Lord was with him. When he was unfairly thrown into prison, what do we read? The Lord was was with him. When Jesus was unfairly treated, when he was unfairly put on the cross, where was the Lord? He turned his back on him. See, the Lord is with us when we are unfairly treated. But when his own son was unfairly treated, he turned his back on him. He was not with him. That, that, that's got to hurt. His own father turned his back on his son. See, Jesus not only allowed himself to suffer and pay the penalty of our sin, but he allowed himself to be counted and be looked at as one of us. What do you mean, Brian? I, I, this, this whole thought really brings me to think and brings me to see that Jesus Christ not only cares about sin and dealing with sin, but he cares about the sinner being near him. He has a heart near the lost. Now, this is just Brian thinking out there. Did Jesus have to die in a public spectacle. I mean, he's in the middle of the city. Everybody sees him walking through town. Everybody sees him being beat. Everybody sees him being ridiculed. Everybody in town knows what's going on. Did that have to happen? Could he not be like Abraham and Isaac, just him and his father, go up on a mountain and deal with it themselves? He would have died. His blood would have been shed. Would that have worked? Now, this is just Brian thinking out there, okay? But he purposed and planned that he would allow himself to be in a scenario where when he's hanging on the cross, anybody who walks by, what do they think? There is one of the worst of the worst. Because only people who do really bad things hang on crosses. People who do little crimes, now they don't get hung on a cross. Only people who do really, really 
bad stuff get hung up there. He must be really horrible and nasty. He must deserve everything he's getting coming to him right now. Jesus allowed himself to be added to the roster of lists of people who did things wrong. Everybody who deserved it. The two other sinners on the, on the crosses those days, they deserved to be there because they had some serious sins. Serious things they did wrong. And Jesus allows himself to be added to the record of sinners and who are being dealt with because of sin. He allowed himself to go on that list. Every single person who looked at him that day thought, there is a horrible man getting what he deserves. It must have been so hard for him. The maker, the creator, the sustainer of the world. The one holding the lives of those people together. The people who he fed. The people who he healed. The people who he cared for the most. Labeling him as a sinner. The one who knew no sin. Who did no sin. The perfect son of God. They labeled him as a sinner. At the cross, even the Father numbered him among the transgressors. Can you imagine the scenario decades, years before the creation of the world? The Father says, Whom shall I send? Who will go from me? And Jesus says, I will go. And you know what, Father? Add me to the list. What do you mean? I can't be added to that. You're perfect. You've done nothing wrong. You can't be added to the list of sinners. Father, put me amongst them. Make me like them. And treat me like you would treat them. Treat me like you would deal with their sin. And add their sin to my account. And I will suffer as if I was one of them. Add me to that list. And he did nothing wrong, yet he allowed himself to be made sin for us. He took all of our sin and added his name to the list of what should be done with sin and how it should be judged. And we know that Jesus did nothing wrong. He was perfect in all he did, and he didn't deserve a thing. But he allowed himself to be counted that day Amongst all the sinners. And he allowed all of our sin to be placed upon him. You know what the beauty of that was? His righteousness, his perfection that day was added to our accounts. Amen. It pleased the Father to crush him, to bruise him, and to take out the penalty of sin on his son and turn his back on his son. Oh man, it's got to be so hard. I can't even imagine doing it to my own son or have my own father do it to me. I I can't. Yet the Lord voluntarily did that on our behalf. Allowed himself to be numbered 
with the sinners and take on the role and responsibility for our mess-ups. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing God we have that he would choose to do that for us. And for eternity past, before he even made us, chose to do that for us. I don't know. I just want to close in prayer. Lord, you, you really blow me away when I think about how much you must really love us. Because when I look at myself and when we're honest with ourselves, Lord, there's nothing good inside of us. There really isn't. We are a sinful people who are selfish, prideful, arrogant. We think ourselves as gods. And yet, you still chose to make us so that you could show us love. So that you could send your son to die on our behalf and redeem our lives. We want to thank you, Lord, this morning for redeeming us, for saving us that your son was willing to be numbered amongst the transgressors, that he was willing to be made a public spectacle of and be insulted on our behalf. He did nothing wrong, yet he was numbered and counted amongst the sinners that day. I just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.